And believe it or not, when I caught up with him, the chicken had him treed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and welcome to our show. I hope everybody's been doing well, and we're going to do a little stuff to catch up, and then uh, I got a little surprise. We're going to take another side trip. Haven't quite found anything else y'all may need on the propagation side. If you do think of something that you need to know, please, please get in touch with me. The contact information is all over social media. Uh, what is it? Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, Tumblr. We do have an area over on Reddit. Two different Mastodon servers. Discord. And uh, last but not least, the website. You can contact me uh, most easily by going over to the website and using one of the links over there on the contact list. Alrighty, uh, let's see. We are going to discuss uh, something a little off the path we've been taking a little bit later but first of all we got to take care of it okay let's see we had a club meeting we uh pretty much didn't get a whole lot of business done but we did get to meet several new members and things are really coming along i know y'all are probably getting tired of hearing about the club but we'll do our best not to bore y'all with it too much uh it's good to know they're new uh, operators so they're gonna probably offer up some Stuff that we can help y'all out with as well as we're uh, working with them to help them move into uh, more of a comfort zone with amateur radio. Okay, uh, we are coming up on the impending relaunch of Resonant Frequencies Amateur Radio podcast. It's looking like it's going to be late January, early February, according to the timeline. We are looking for suggestions on topics and that kind of stuff if y'all are interested. All this stuff, you can get in touch with us over at the website. There's a whole list of contacts over there. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, MeWe, Mastodon, Reddit. We're all over the place. But the best way is to go over to the website and check out the contact list. Because uh, all the links are there. All you got to do is go ahead and click on one. Oh yeah, I forgot Discord. Uh, we really do need you guys to start showing up over on Discord. It'd be easier for us to talk one-on-one or uh, video chat or whatever we need to do if we can get y'all to head on down there. Alrighty, uh, let's see. What else we got before we get too far into it? I was trying not to launch off into the nag yet, but apparently we're going to have to go that direction. So, uh, just wanted to let y'all know we are accepting donations and... We have several ways to help support the show. I don't really make any money off of this. 
anything that uh, comes in where the show is concerned, unlike uh, others out there, everything that comes into the show over here goes directly back into purchasing uh, equipment, paying for server fees, all this other stuff. My time is free, uh, research time and on-air time, so... Uh, I'm really not getting paid for this. This is labor of love for me like it has always been. Yes, we have had to take on at least one advertiser, which is uh, Bridgecom. And you know, the guys with the UV uh, 878 and the Skybridge hotspot and that kind of stuff. They also have other items on their website. And you will find banners on the website for them if you want to go ahead and click that direction and take a look. If you do decide to purchase something, we do get a little bit off of that sale, which will go right back into the fund to help support the show. So, with that, uh, what are the other culprits? We have buy me a cup of coffee, good old standard PayPal. You know, you can drop a straight little old donation in there. And then we have Patreon. Patreon is not actually a subscription system, but it does uh, for our Patreons or patrons. It will open up extra content and opportunities for live chats and stuff like that when we get it completely set up, and we are still working on that, but uh, there'll be multiple levels. The links are already set up to the Discord server, the uh, website, and that kind of stuff for pat patrons. We just uh, really haven't had an opportunity to get any content in there at the moment, but we will be working on that in the near future. Uh, in fact, next uh, month I have a little time because we decided to not have a club meeting in December, so that's going to give me a little time to work with that. I will also be uh, leaving my wife at home, which leaves me uh, full of dread and having to go to work for Amazon for a bit, but we're going to try and make sure we have enough time to get everything taken care of on this end. So we jumped right on through the uh, donation thing, didn't we? We got through that pretty quick. I'm trying to think if there is anything else that I need to discuss with y'all before we move on to our topic for this episode. And I let me uh, let me throw a little lead into this, a little segue into this, because we are trying to split up the actual content, information, amateur radio stuff into separate segments, kind of so that we can pull them out and snip them out and get them over on the Patreon side or get them marked as part of a series. If you'll look at the website, you'll find we have a battery series. Uh, the propagation series is also marked as a separate category. And we are going to get a page set up where you can find those more easily. Let me start with this. I was looking at a thread for chat or whatever you call it on Facebook and a guy was asking about grounding his mobile radio in his car and I don't know how many if I've mentioned this I'm sure I at some point I have mentioned it for about five and a half years I worked in uh, some car shop I was at that time a level three Chrysler certified technician the only cars uh, in the Chrysler line that I did not put my hands on were Sprinter vans and uh, the Viper. Uh, well, I take it back. I did inspect the Viper one time. However, they didn't want to send me to Viper school. Week in Las Vegas, man. <laughs> yeah, buddy. But 
I had worked on every system on a Viper except the actual body and chassis of the Viper. But, uh, yeah, we had pickups coming through there, had that Viper engine. Yeah, buddy. So, the thing was, this guy was asking about how would it be best to install this radio in my car? And then it got me to thinking that there are a lot of pitfalls with the vehicle. So, we're going to back up. We'll probably say the same thing again a little bit, but y'all hang on. We're going to talk about getting to power and ground on uh, mobile installation. Okay, guys and gals, this time we're going to talk about getting power to your mobile radio and mobile installation. I was uh, reading some stuff lately about where people were asking questions about, you know, how should I do this and how should I do that as far as getting power to my radio in my car. At one point, I was a Level 3 Chrysler Certified Technician and worked on every car that was Dodge, Ram, Chrysler, and Jeep at some point except the Viper and the uh, Sprinter van. Most cars are pretty much basically the same nowadays, and I think I can probably help out with some of the questions folks might have about doing these installs. So back in the good old days, when I first started driving, and I was on that band that we don't talk about, or even if I was putting in, hang on to your hats, kids, an 8-track player, in my car, or a cassette player came along a little later, or anything that I needed to be powered off of the car so it would work. Back then, all you had to do was find a red wire somewhere on that car, or you just needed to figure out a way to plug in behind a fuse on the fuse block and then screw it to anything on that car, and you were good, because the complete car was made out of metal. So you had a chassis ground one way or another, whether you liked it or not. And where power was concerned, any red wire was game, man, because red wire meant hot. Well, things have changed. And this is one of the pitfalls, and I wanted to start with this part of it first so I can uh, save y'all a lot of heartache. Nowadays, cars are, they have these small computer modules all over them. In the case of Chevrolet's, it's called an engine control module. On the uh, Chryslers, it's called the powertrain control module. And there's other modules that are involved as well. I mean, not in the Chrysler line, and I do have to speak from the Chrysler line. You may have to go look up your particular vehicle to find what I'm talking about when you go to do your mobile install. But it's pretty basic. In the case of uh, the Chrysler line, there are multiple instances of these small computers all over the car. In case of the uh, powertrain control module, or the PCM, it is pretty much the one that directs all the others. You have to think about this in terms of a computer network in your home. All these things are servers, they handle different switching, that kind of stuff. But when you've got all these modules, you're also having to take into account that they're having to communicate with each other. And the convention of any red wires hot 12 bolts goes right out the window now the reason i'm saying this is a good example is i had many cars come in down at the shop when i was doing that kind of work that it would come in there would be something crazy going on with something on the car whether it was the engine wasn't running right the transmission wasn't shifting right the radio wasn't working right, and 
most of the time, the, these particular complaints were coming in from people that when you pop the trunk on there, you had this giant amplifier with some great big old capacitors, and they were plugged into some number 10 or uh, 8 wire, and somehow it had the wire had been run to the front of the car and plugged into the battery. But not always. Sometimes they'd go ahead and plug this into whatever red wire they could find. Or they would be grounding it to whatever they thought was a piece of metal or a good grounded piece of metal somewhere on the car. Now, the problem is that computer networking that I'm talking about, it's not, it's not wireless. They don't want to take that kind of chance, too much liability. They run wires for the network. It's normally... I don't know, 14, 16 gauge wire, bundle of, bundle of more than one color, but there's always a red and a black. But the red and the black are the main wires that those computers communicate down. So it's kind of like attaching one of those great big audio amplifiers to a cat cable running from your internet gateway in your home to your computer. If you go tapping into any of the wires on there, you're going to mess something up. So having said all of that, the best way has always been when you're doing a mobile installation to connect to the hot side and the ground side of your car's battery. And I say best. Best if you want to do it as basic as possible. There are other things you can do, and we may talk about that if we have time, but let's try and get through as much of this as we can in this particular episode. So, the best way to plug in is the battery. Now, you can't go wrong that way because you know the uh, the ground side of that battery is hooked to something grounded. It's normally a post or something on the chassis since we don't often have frames in these vehicles anymore. It is a post that is grounded to the chassis, which gives you the ground you need for all the electrical equipment on that vehicle. The hot side, it goes to the engine. It goes to the engine. It goes to the small computers on board. It gets its uh, charge off the alternator, so there's power on that bad boy, and you can't hardly beat it. Plus the fact, if you're taking one of these batteries, and it may be different now with absorbent glass mat batteries that they're putting in the cars nowadays, I do need to do the research so we can add to our earlier battery series from Resonant Frequency on the uh, AGM batteries, but in the case of lead-acid batteries, which were what was standard in cars and people still do buy them because they're cheaper to uh, run their cars nowadays when they have to replace one you have the added advantage due to the uh, plates and the dielectric that are involved you have a little bit of filtering due to capacitance in that battery so a lot of times you can avoid noise that may be coming in on your radio we will talk about noise mitigation either later in this episode or in an upcoming episode. Now, next you're going to ask me, how do I get to the battery from the engine compartment? What am I going to do? I'm going to go run it out the window in between the door and the post on one side or the other or what? Well, all the wiring that comes into the car normally comes through some sort of rubber grommet in the firewall, what we would call the firewall. I don't remember what they call it now, a bulkhead or something like that. But there's these little grommets, and there's wiring going through there. Your uh, accelerator pedal, for the most part, is probably 
uh, electronic and not mechanical. It may still be in some vehicles. There's a grommet there. Where your steering column goes through, there's a grommet there. Where your wiring bundle off of the uh, fuse block, there's a rubber grommet there. And if, for some reason, you're having a problem finding one that'll work for you, oh yes, by the way, don't use the one on the steering column because that opens up a whole new can of worms. If you're not able to get your wiring through one of these grommets, and please don't tear them because they're used to keep water out of your passenger compartment. So try not to tear them. Go down to the parts house, get a round rubber grommet, bore a hole through the firewall where it's not going to hurt anything, stick your wire through the grommet, stick it into the hole in the firewall, and run it to the battery. You don't have to have but two wires. Now, that's going to get you to the battery. Battery's always the best place. You may not be always be able to do it that way, but you want to make sure it's something that is grounded to the chassis of the car whenever possible, ground to the hot side of battery. So uh, back to the computer network, don't tap into that because, number one, it's not going to be 12 volts. Number two, it's not going to carry the amperage you need to run your radios. You know, there was a similar problem with the tracking devices they use on used cars. Because nowadays, all used car lots put a tracking device on their cars. Or any of them that expect to get the cars back if somebody doesn't pay. It's a whole lot easier than paying guys to go sit and wait somewhere to wait for you. Most of you are not going to have that getting behind on your payment thing. But occasionally it does happen. Do not remove the tracking device because they're going to want to know what's going on. Now, a little bit about something alternate that is a suggestion as well. You can use a second battery. Second battery, I find is a good idea. Second battery inside the passenger compartment, well, yes and no. And we will have to talk more about automotive batteries at some point. I think we're probably going to run low on time if I don't get with it. If we get there before we're done, we'll get there. Um Inside the car is probably not a good idea in most cases. Now, that means that in the case of pickup trucks, um, you're good if you can get it in the, in the bed. I can't think of many other vehicles except a Jeep or something similar where the top is off most of the time. Uh, that would be fine as well as long as it was far, away, far enough away that if there was an issue and the battery should explode, and they do explode, had one blow up next to my head once, that it's not going to injure anyone in the passenger compartment. But this also brings us to absorbent glass mat. Some of the modern cars, the absorbent glass mat batteries are installed in the passenger compartment, or almost. A lot of vehicles nowadays, that battery is under a panel on the passenger side rear seat in the vehicle, and even in the ProMaster vans, that you may have seen running around. They are mounted in a compartment under a panel in between the passenger and driver's seat in the front. Like I said, I need to do more on the absorbent glass mat batteries. I need to go back and refresh myself on those. However, let's try and put it in a nutshell real fast. Lead acid batteries use uh, lead plating and an electrolyte normally sulfuric acid and water. Now the problem with these batteries is when they are charged or overcharged, they tend to vent a gas called hydrogen. Now some of y'all 
may know what that smells like. A lot of people don't. If you're getting a rotten egg smell off the battery, you need to get some ventilation going on because hydrogen is very explosive and all it takes is a spark to set it off. Yes, I am here to testify. That's the reason the one blew up next to my head. Now, in the case of absorbent glass mat batteries, because of the way they're constructed, the outgassing on those batteries is far, far less. That's why they can be sealed for the life of the battery. And you never have to add electrolyte or, in the case of lead-acid batteries, water. So they also have a vent tube normally installed on them so that if they do outgas or produce gas, the gas goes out the vent tube, which is normally vented to the outside of the vehicle. Now, you can dig in more, do some research, and you can figure out how to do this kind of stuff yourself. But for mobile operation now, in the, I have advocated deep cycle batteries in the past, but I'm not going to do that for mobile installation. So, getting back to adding a second battery. If you add a second battery, you need to be conscious of the fact that if you have those two batteries directly tied together, and that doesn't mean running the alternator to both of them or whatever, but you're going to have to have them directly tied together so you can pull that power when the vehicle is not running. But if you're going to do that, you need to look for something called a battery isolator. Now, the battery isolator works basically like a great big diode. And I know some of y'all came in by studying the questions and taking the test and may not be too up on that. And some's going to get mad because they're going to think I'm saying they're a dummy. But they are not, you're not a dummy. I'm just saying. But basically, this battery isolator only lets the power flow one direction. Meaning that if the charge comes down from the alternator to the battery and charges that battery. Now you have a second battery hooked up, so you have a cable running from the first battery to the secondary battery. In between that, you want to have a battery isolator so that if, for some reason, you run the battery down, the number two battery down, it doesn't kill the main battery because it would be really bad to be sitting on a hill and you've drawn all the charge out of that main battery or out of both batteries where the car won't even start with the isolator you solve that problem because the only battery you're actually working off of is the second battery this keeps the main battery with enough charge to get you started get you out of the way and in my part of the world that you would be running from a tornado i'm not sure what you'd be running for in california or running from in california but all the gals out there ain't as pretty as you see on TV. So we're getting really close to the end of this. And there's a whole lot more information that we can probably go with. I warned y'all do not tap into one of the computer lines on your car. And they can be deceiving because sometimes they'll look like a twisted pair of wires. Or they'll look like a, a ribbon of three or four wires. Check the wiring diagrams. Do your best. You can find them online. But we've mostly got that particular thing taken care of. 
Uh, we'll do our best to move on to or revisit this as little as possible in the next episode. And I really am glad that I heard somebody ask the question because I was listening to an old episode of Resident Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, where we were talking about mobile installations and this whole computer network thing. At that time, I didn't have that information. So with that, we're going to go ahead and shut this one down. Hopefully we didn't go too far over. Remember, y'all, please go over to the website. Contact me for feedback. If you can afford it, drop a few dollars in PayPal or uh, one of the other. You could even start the Patreon at this point. We are going to get that extra content on there for the Patreon. Come visit me on Discord. Come visit me on Facebook. I mean, I'm all over the place. Y'all ain't going to have a hard time finding it. So with that, I'm going to cut y'all loose. we got to get this thing edited and get it out. Because, uh, sadly, I've had a difficult last couple of days. And, once again, we're recording on the morning of the release. So, spend some time with your families. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Because there won't be one out uh, before then. And I hate dating the show like that. But, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Make sure you spend time with all your family. Because, well... They're the only thing more important than amateur radio. <laughs> we'll see y'all next time, 7-3. We gotta go. Share the precious time.